Blog Talk Radio. to the Perkins Platform. We apologize to our listeners. Uh, we uh, encountered some technical difficulties with the uh, internet connection and getting logged on, and so we're glad to have you with us, uh, be it a few minutes late. Um, just want to take the time to also thank and welcome Dr. Carol Burris, uh, who is a former New York State principal um, and an author uh, who's going to talk to us today. Uh, welcome, uh, Dr. Burris. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for, for coming on board, and uh, thank you so much for your patience. Um, I am um, so delighted. Uh, we're still waiting on um, some information about um, today's topic, about the uh, teacher evaluation controversy, and I just want to jump right in and have you uh, talk to us, because I'm sure we're probably going to have some callers, but that there's so much to cover to bring our listening audience up to speed on what this is all about. And uh, so there are people on both sides of this who um, are asking questions. And so um, I really want to uh, dig right in. So let's get started by um, just right out the bat. Um, I, I just want to know what, if you could give us uh, what, how we got here in terms of the sure. uh, evaluation controversy, specifically, specifically this value-added model, if you want to bring us up to date with where this all started. Sure. I mean, the value-added model started, you started to see it really appearing around 2009 as something that was talked about um, widely. Um, It was developed by economists. It was not something that was developed by educators. And the thought behind it was that um, you were able, you would be able to capture the effect of a particular teacher on a student's test score. And then by comparing all of the teachers um, whose students took the same test, you could rank them and bring forth um, a, what was called a growth score so that there would be the average movement of students um, on the test from where they were the year before uh, to the present year. Um, and that then you know you would be able to see who your most highly effective teachers were, your effective teachers, your ineffective teachers, and then another category called developing. I mean, that is at least the your categories. Other states have different ones. Um, so it started to make its way and a lot of support from the Gates Foundation um, and their measurement of effective teachers project. And then it made its way into Race to the Top. So that in order to be able to get a grant with Race to the Top, you had to have some kind of a system that evaluated teachers by test scores, and it had to be a significant amount. Now, Race to the Top did not define what that was, but I do know that the first um, application that New York brought forth, it was 10%, and that was not deemed enough. Um, So then they later came back with one in which value-added or something similar to value-added called growth was 20% and then an additional 20% based on other measures of student performance. 
And um, that was accepted. And then there was a flurry, a flurry, a flurry of um, action in the state education department and in the legislature. And they very quickly put it into place. And that was when it all kind of started to hit the fan. <laughs> yeah. And, and so um, I know a lot of people, you know, there, there were some other places um, that a lot of people were asking about. I think California, maybe Arizona, mm-hmm. you that had kind of tinkered with it. Do you know where those are at this point? I'm not sure where California is. I don't think they've been using it yet. Florida jumped right um, through the gate, and they started off with 50% of a teacher's evaluation being based by test scores. They ran into all kinds of problems, especially since what they did for non-tested teachers, where they said, even though they didn't have the students, well, just pick one of the scores. You know, it's sort of like gambling, and that's going to be your score. Now, the teacher had absolutely no effect. Um, And what they've done since then is they've gone backwards, and now it's 30% of the evaluation. Washington, D.C. was using it very strongly, uh, also at about 50%, I believe. And then what they did when Common Core came into play is they took it completely out, at least for a year. Um, Tennessee has has backwalked on a lot of it, but for some reason, um, our governor in New York seems to be quite enthralled with all of this and uh, actually then upped the percentage um, on test boards in this last round of teacher evaluation. And that has caused a huge outcry um, Mm -hmm. from teachers and principals across um, the state. Sure. Um, I've had uh, opportunity to talk to various groups and, you know, some including board members and city council members and and ask them, what their opinions were about it. And I get a mixed bag. And sometimes uh, the the argument on the side for it, um, I've heard people say things like, well, in what profession do you have where people aren't held accountable? And you say, well, if you, if you work theoretically in, in a factory that produces widgets, you're measured, you're measured <laughs> by the number of widgets you make in an hour. If if you are uh, some other profession, you you really have to determine your success or lack of success based on what you produce, and and so um, a lot of the the research out there talks about that and and has been kind of widely accepted that the number one factor influencing um, student performance is the quality of the teacher. And, and so they tie all of this together and say, so it's, it's really only logical to, to look at these test scores and say, this is the measure of how effective the teacher is or ineffective the teacher is. What, what, is, what is your response to that? All right. So there's, there's a lot there. Let's, let's kind of take it apart. First of all, the research does not say, but I know people repeat it all the time, does not say that the teacher is the most important factor in the test score performance of the student. The teacher is the largest in-school factor of the, t- of the test scores, right? But over 70% of what makes the performance or what we know from the performance comes from out-of-school factors. 
when it gets down, and there have been study after study after study done on this, the percentage contribution of the teacher comes out between 0 and 15%. 0 and 15%. You have so many things. I mean, it is as if it is an elaborate soup, right, with lots of ingredients. Some of it has to do with whether the child had pre-K. Some of it has to do with natural gifts and talents. Some of it has to do with um, the principles. Some of it has to do with the resources in the school. Some of it has to do with curriculum. All of these factors influence how a child does. So the influence of the teacher, and I would never, never say it's not important. Oh, my gosh, it's terribly important. But it is not as measurable as people would like to think. Second piece of it is even if that were perfectly the case, right, Mm -hmm. How do we know that we have an instrument that works? Let's talk about Sherry Letterman for a minute and and her her lawsuit, right? This is a teacher, fabulous teacher. Parents love her. She teaches in a school with very high-performing kids who went from effective on her growth score one year to ineffective the next. Then the following year, now she's back up to effective. Now, Sherry didn't do anything different in that middle year. Mm -hmm. So... You know, we're not eating, and we're seeing these same kinds of crazy swings all over the place. In Scarsdale, for example, in 2013, none of the teachers were ineffective by this test score measure now. We're not talking about principals or anything. By the test score measure. The next year, 19% were ineffective, right? And then you had a, a swing that was in the opposite direction over in Buffalo where you had high numbers of ineffective teachers. Then the same year that Scarsdale's numbers went up, the Buffalo's numbers went down. So unless these teachers are riding on trains in between districts, you know, <laughs> none of this makes sense. Um, sure. The third part is, let's say it, it was perfect, absolutely perfect. Part of the issue that you have is that when you do this. Are we still there? Yes, yes, go ahead. Oh, oh, Okay. Um, sorry, I heard a click on the line. I was afraid the clock dropped. Um, okay. And and that is is let's say that it's perfect. What the system incentivizes first and foremost, especially since careers hang in the balance, it incentivizes teachers teaching to the test, right? Forgetting mm-hmm. all of the other pieces of a child's education, because remember their career is going to hang in the balance or they may be getting a bonus or not getting a bonus depending upon this. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's no matter how you, you kind of slice and dice it, it, it's just not worth the price. Teachers right. have always been accountable. They have always been evaluated. Frankly, it's a myth that they were not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I you know, I want to thank you for... Uh, really pointing out uh, what is often misquoted because uh, the research, as you mentioned, is is you is just as you said it is that um, teacher quality um, and and being the most important school based factor in student achievement. So, uh, but you hear it and you hear it misquoted all the time, mm-hmm. and it's part of the reason why I said you know what what is your response. Um, because a lot of this is um, is is as 
you mentioned about the fact that they have been evaluated, they have been held accountable in different ways, um, but there's a, a large portion, uh, both uh, in the, the administrative ranks, um, but also just the general public that um, holds the, the position that it's just only fair. We have to hold people accountable in some way. And so I, I don't hear you saying that that there's nothing to hold teachers accountable for. I hear you saying that this just isn't the way. I mean, I don't want to misquote you. Exactly. But this is no, you're, you're, you're quoting me perfectly. <laughs> and and so what what are the 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 as a as an alternative, what are the ways that you, you have suggested that we modify what they propose? Right. Well, look, you know, I think that there, the, the part I think that upsets people the most is really this piece around the test scores. Um, so creating a model that is, that has more to do with what the teacher actually controls, which is his or her performance, makes a lot more sense. And going back more to what we had in the past, maybe making it better. Maybe it wasn't excellent in many places. Um, for example, um, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with a law that says, for example, that you must um, observe a, a teacher for a full period observation at least twice a year. And if the teacher is, is rated low in performance, you increase the number. Um, certainly doing evaluations about the other, um, you know, whether or not they're, they're punctual, um, whether or not they participate in the community, whether they're involved in extracurricular activities, what their professional development is like. Um, there are so many things that could be taken into account that would be fair, uh, reliable, would help teachers improve, and at the same time would not have the negative effects of the test scores. You know, um, there are ways, and, and if the teacher is, is just not improving, and there are serious problems, I mean, there's a process that's always been there. It's called 3028. Mm -hmm. And certainly we could do more work around making that process less expensive and happen quicker, mm -hmm. um, while still respecting the due process rights of teachers. So it's not an insolvable problem. Um, it's just that people have rushed to a solution believing that this was going to be something objective, mm -hmm. when it's not. You know, just because you can produce a number, it doesn't mean that that number actually reflects reality which in sure. this case is the performance of a teacher. Sure. Uh, to our call, uh, listeners who have joined us, um, I'm talking with Dr. Carol Burris, who is a former principal in New York State and author. Uh, we're talking about the uh, Lederman v. King case that is, uh, has yet to be decided by the New York State Supreme Court uh, about value-added uh, um, teacher evaluation. We use the value-added model. And so uh, we're, we're right in the middle of uh, a really informative and, and uh, conversation. And I, I have another question for you, Carol, about, um, you know, the, the arguments. And so that uh, what, what was the prime argument uh, that was kind of in defense that the State Department of Education took? Um, I had been told that uh, it has been 
widely held that uh, members of the uh, State Department of Ed, but um, after being pushed quite a bit, whether it is from our um, corporate community or otherwise, but that they wanted something to to actually be able to move people out of the system that had been so long not um not effective and and we're you know with all the money that's being spent um mm-hmm. of course a lot of that hadn't wasn't presented but um what is your sense of what the the state's prime argument on their side is to the rationale behind it for them well, I think what you said is certainly um, a part of the motive. However, that's not the motive that you will ever hear um, uh, Merrill Tisch or others in the state education department say. Um, John King used to say all the time, for example, this is about teacher development. This isn't about firing teachers. Um, and then, of course, the other excuses, well, we had to do it to get raised to the top money. But, you know, if you listen carefully to the governor, um, he is more frank, and he does say, well, this is to get rid of bad teachers. Well, all right, mm-hmm. well, nobody wants bad teachers, but you have to have a real system to identify them. Um, he said on one occasion, well, you know, teachers come to school drunk. I, I don't know of any teachers that come to school drunk. There may be sure. some in New York State. Give them a breathalyzer. Right. I mean, you know, it could be that their kids still get great test scores uh, if they happen to be teaching, uh, you know, a group of very smart kids whose parents will run out and get tutors. So, you know, to deal with with problems like um, maybe attendance issues or or somebody who comes to school under the influence or isn't doing their job, you know, you then what you do is you got to target strategies for each of those problems. Um, you don't just create this system and just expect that yeah, it's going to find all the drunks. I mean, I'm being facetious, but you know, sure. it, it's not. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, sure, sure. And um, it, I, I, I do. I we I know we only have a few more minutes, but I would also like to point out. Uh, I served for many years as a board president in Connecticut, and one of the things that uh, often got compared, whether it is in some of the southern states that are right-to-work states um, mm-hmm. without teachers' unions. But I I, I used to uh, cringe when I would have parents come and talk before the Board of Ed and compare public education accountability to charter school accountability. And I don't mean to pit one against the other, um, but one of the things that that I, I've heard also in this argument is that, well, in charter schools in, and in some places, uh, because this certainly will have implications for other states, but um, the that, you know, in other uh, circumstances like charter schools, well, they don't have this problem. Uh, they're able to get rid of their teachers and what have you. Um, uh, what is your sense of, uh, about um, where some of in in terms of charter schools that are they um, on board with it? Is, is it do they want uh, a model like this, or are they using a model like this? What what's your sense from from the charter world? Right, right. Well, you know the whole argument that if you didn't have teacher protections, everything would be better. Like as you mentioned before, let's look at some of those southern states. Let's look at Arizona. 
let's look at Texas. You're not seeing states that are stellar in their performance. Union rights in Florida are, are almost non-existent. Tenure for all intensive purposes doesn't exist. These are right. not high-performing states. These are states that have teacher shortages. Now, to the question of charters, is very, very interesting because if you look at the charter chains, um, Success Academy and some of the other charters, none of them are plugged into APPR. They were exempt mm-hmm. from it. So right, while right. there may be a few that are actually using it, if you try to find out what the growth scores were for teachers at Success Academy, well, you can look all day on the state website. Unless they put them up recently, you're not going to see them. So, right. you know, there's one set of rules for some and another set for others. Um, they can dismiss any teacher that they want at any point in time. That's true. Um but I, I really don't see that um, as an advantage. I mean, they have tremendous turnover in charter schools. And sure. comparing, if you look in New York State on the whole and you look at charter performance, it's no better than public school performance. The high school level, it's much worse than public school performance. You have a few charter chains that seem to be very successful. Um, but you know what? If you saw John Merrow's uh, recent report on PBS, um, uh, and you see discipline policies that drive students out of the school. Um, you see low numbers of special education kids. Um, as a public school, high school principal, any child who walked through the door, I had to take them. They could come to me at the age of 20 from El Salvador with interrupted education. They were my child. I had to take them and try to get them across the finish line. Charter right. schools don't have to do that. It's right. a whole other world. <laughs> right. Oh, absolutely. So as we get ready to close, I just want to ask you, so we, we're still waiting. Um, obviously, we know uh, where you are on the the, the side of uh, how this should turn out. Uh, what do you think? What do you really think is going to happen, given the makeup of the, the Supreme Court uh, in New York State? What do you think is going to be the outcome? Well, it was interesting. I was there um, for the hearing, and the judge was baffled, to say the least, by the uh, growth system. And he seemed to be very concerned that it was built around a uh, bell curve. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is because if you think about it, all of the scores could go down and you'd still have highly effective teachers. All of the scores could go up and you'd still, you know, have ineffective teachers. And part of what the law says is that every teacher should have access to be able to get 100 points, right? So if you Mm -hmm. fly right and you do everything, you should be able to get the 100 points. Well, if you put a bell curve in there, you've just made that impossible. So Mm -hmm. that was the main argument of Bruce Letterman, and I thought it was just beautifully argued. Um, The judge seemed very sympathetic to it. However, as he said several times, to be able to say that this regulation is arbitrary capricious or whatever the standard might be, that's a very high bar. So while mm-hmm. I think he was extraordinarily sympathetic, whether he will be able to actually say, and good, you know, looking at the law, I'm going to throw this out, that remains to be seen. But one thing we know, which is really interesting, Dr. Perkinson, that is both sides have said that no matter what the outcome is, they are going to challenge it at the next level. So oh, even when we yeah. get the decision, the story will not be over. 
It won't be over. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, we're, we'll be ready uh, for that that next uh, that next installment. So, um, Carol, we're really thankful that you came on um, uh, this afternoon for uh, to shed some light on this value-added model controversy. Uh, to the listeners, thank you for joining us again, and uh, join us. Um, uh, in November, when we have a, a broadcast with uh, Dr. David Ramey, who is going to talk to us uh, on the topic, why are the black kids sitting together uh, in the principal's office? He did research on um, the suspension and retention data, suspension and expulsion data, um, and um, we'll we'll be able to hear some really interesting uh, information from a public policy perspective. And so um, we, again, Carol, thanks for joining us. Um, we want to um, uh, hear more about this and we'll keep our eyes and ears open uh, for the next time. So um, well, thank you. Go well. Stay well. Thanks again, Carol. Bye-bye.